I just hit record, so we're going now. We are in Luke chapter 5. Turn over there with me, please. All right, Luke 5. Now, last week we looked at Peter coming before unblemished holiness as well as unlimited grace, all in one package that causes him to crumble, fall on his face before Jesus, and rightly so, only to be lifted up and given a significance and a purpose that is far beyond what he could have ever reckoned for himself. And now we see almost the same story. We'll see it here. We'll see it next week. We'll see it the week after that. Again and again, what Jesus is so capable of doing is grabbing us when we realize how desperately we need him and taking us from where we finally realize that we are to where it is that we were destined to be in the eyes of God. And we'll see this yet again in another unlikely character, this time a leper in Israel. Let's pray together and we'll continue our study of Luke in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Oh God, as we come before this text today, I know we come before Jesus, and as we've even stated before in the service today, that as we see Jesus, we see you, we see your character, your compassion, your unfathomable riches of your grace. Thank you, God, that we get this vivid picture, that we can celebrate it, we can share it, we can recognize it, we can be validated by it, God. I pray, Lord, that we do not look at this and come away with some sort of a a half-hearted attitude, but that we are astounded at the Jesus that is in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, Luke 5, verse 12. Now, just a little while ago, Jesus was captured talking in the synagogue, and while he was in the synagogue, he mentioned to them, that not a single leper in Israel had ever been cleansed. And he used that word cleansed. Interestingly, you don't use the word cleansed for other maladies. For example, the blind see, the, the, the Bible speaks of, the, the deaf hear, the mute, have, it's an interesting word, have their tongues untangled, the lame walk, the dead are raised. These are all ways that these are characterized. But the one that is spoken of of a cleansing, and interestingly the same word that's used of our sins of cleansing, is leprosy. And perhaps there's a bit of a spiritual significance that is behind leprosy. But Jesus does say, in the synagogue teaching, when he begins his public ministry, he says not a single leper in Israel was cleansed. Only that foreigner, the commander of the troops, Naaman, the Syrian, was ever cleansed. And at that They ground their teeth, they rose up, pitchforks, you know, let's get them, take them to the brow of the hill, throw them off. They were so incensed about Jesus speaking of a foreigner being cleansed without giving real um, attention to the needs of Israel. And now we see, for the first time in Scripture, an Israelite leper coming to God and being cleansed. Here it is. While Jesus was in one of the towns... A man came along who was covered with leprosy. Luke is a physician. He uses a bit of technical language here to show the extent 
of the malady of this leprosy that this man has. Leprosy could have been one of many different diseases that was common at that time in Israel. They were most likely very contagious because the Bible gives lots of precautions about what you're to do if you have leprosy. I'll, I'll talk about those in a moment. But it was a, a skin disease. The leprosy that we know of today, we, we see it, for example, in India, uh, is, is a form of leprosy. may not be exactly the leprosy that we saw there. It may have been included in the spectrum of skin diseases that came under the overall rubric of leprosy. But nonetheless, it could have been a wide variety of what it was that this man had. Well, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. Picture that. And begged him, Lord, and this is the Lord that Peter uses after he gets it. The Kyrios Lord, not the Yo Boss. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What that must have been as a hope for this man. What it was that he had. And as he approaches Jesus, we see a Jesus in which there's no stain he can't cleanse, no shame that he won't touch. And the stain and the shame that has come to identify this man, we don't know his name, we just know him as the leper. There's only one other reference to leprosy healing in the New Testament. And, well, when it's acted out, we, we have the reference to Naaman. But where it's acted out is in Luke 17. So it's just here in Luke 17 where this happens. But here, this is, this is a man that is only known for what it is that plagues him right now. According to Leviticus 13, if you have leprosy, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. But that's not the worst part. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This man, we don't know who he is, was he a father? Was he a son? What was his community? He's not allowed back in the village. All things that are dear to him are now more than an arm's length away. In order for him to have sustenance, food, his family, according to background information on what would have happened with, with those that suffered from leprosy, their family would be diligent about providing food and perhaps being able to make some sort of a contact from a distance. Imagine maybe Marshall and I, and, and there, you know, Marshall's son leaves him the food and uh, back he goes. And that's all that, that Marshall could experience of his family anymore. Year after year, watching them grow up, seeing his wife, only being able to love her from afar. How difficult the, the circumstance here of this man and how broken down he must have been. And on top of all of that, he is suffering. 
There's, there are so many images of, of leprosy that are not even appropriate to show the, the festering soils and the, the depth of the damage, how it racks the body. Uh, but yet, this man has this as his identification. And he needs to be cleansed. Not only to alleviate perhaps what might be suffering. In, in some instances, interestingly, it is not actually suffering. Hansen's disease of leprosy, the common one that we would know of today, actually dulls the senses such that you don't recognize that you're doing harm to yourself. End up wearing away your outer extremities, your fingertips, your nose, your ears, because it's not sensitive enough to know to be careful in some of those cases. And with a heavy hand or, or foot or whatever it might be, uh, you end up having damage done. Incremental, incremental, imperceptible at first, but over time, quite dramatic of what the, the end results might be. But he's disfigured and disenfranchised and very, very much alone. And whether he sees Jesus and goes to him or whether Jesus sees him, it's a situation where one of them is breaking protocol because there cannot be any contact. This man would have his face covered, he'd be wearing torn clothes to identify him from afar, and then if he got close enough, it was either a bell that ended up becoming a tradition that you would wear around your neck to identify yourself, which is shaming in of itself, or as anyone approaches, as the text just read, you were waving your hands and shouting as loud as you can, unclean, unclean, defiled, defiled, to put it another way. And somehow this gap, which existed for this man and every other human being, is going to be broken down. Let's keep reading. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Imagine a touch after years, maybe decades, of never experiencing not, not, not just intimacy or embrace, but even a touch from, from anyone. And so much heart is communicated through touch, even in fellowship today. How interesting it is, how important it is to be able to share touch. For those of you who are visiting, you're thinking, well, you guys think it's a little bit too important, apparently. Yes, we do hug. It's kind of our, like, secret handshake. <laughs> but, it, but it is a way that God has given that, that we can show love. And obviously, different cultures, different sensitivities with regards to that. But not to be mistaken is that Jesus could have healed this man in a variety of ways. He could have just spoken the word, but he decided to a man that had not been touched to reach out and put a hand on this man. It must have felt like electricity running through his body. I'm sure if anybody touched him, but, but one who so clearly loved and cared for him, that is always conveyed in what happens physically. It would have been like 
I don't know, like, like, like hot chocolate on a cold day. You know, just you feel it just go through you, the warmth and the wonder of it all. And to have that touch from Jesus that this man would have experienced. And when Jesus reaches and touches him, he says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why? Why, why does Jesus tell this man to go to the priest? I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. It's that Jesus wants a complete healing to occur in this man's life. Not only the stigma, the stain, the shame, the pain, but also the isolation that is brought about by all of this. I love this picture depicting this very scene. The leper, full of shame, taking a risk, begging Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus, of course willing, asserts that he is willing. And so he reaches to the man, grasps him, touches him, and changes the entire trajectory of the rest of this man's life. This is one of my favorite pictures of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't some sort of a central commander. He's out there, always out there, mixing it up with the people of all sorts. Not afraid to get low, not afraid to go high. Excited for either opportunity, and he finds us where we are. And is not afraid to get his hands dirty with us. But instead of this leprosy infecting Jesus, taking his holiness and making it defiled, instead, the beauty of the purity of Christ takes it out the other way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world and the darkness cannot stand against it. And so the light is overcoming the darkness so vividly in this scene. And for us, if we're going to appreciate all that, that uh, Jesus is doing here, I think for us to realize we have this Jesus available to us. And what is it that maybe affecting you by which you might be racked with sin or guilt or shame, or even isolation. Maybe it's not apparent isolation, but there are walls up as a result of something that requires cleansing in your life. And if we're to gain all that this small but powerful picture of Jesus gives us, well, first of all, I need to see my stain. This man had a bit of an advantage over us on this one. There's no mistaking it. At this point, you just got to recognize and deal with it as you've got to deal with it. But sometimes when we see our stain, we can be so overwhelmed by it that we can be like Peter. We just want to say, get away from me. 
I'm sinful. Get away from me. It's the exact wrong sentiment to have with Jesus. But what, what might be this sin, guilt, shame, pain, stain? Is there some sort of a flirtation that you dabbled with at school or at the office? Did it begin to grow? Did you cross over a boundary that you had thought never, before the face of God, never am I going to cross that line? But yet you did? You said some things? You showed some things? You bore yourself to this other person in an intimacy and a, um, a yoke that you knew was completely against all that God wanted for you. It's a tough stain. Maybe there's pornography that has shackled you. You're not sure how you're ever going to get away from this. The more that you try to exert different strategies of discipline, they, they fall short, leaving you frustrated. Maybe it's not that. Maybe there's, maybe there's a bitterness. And it stems from an abuse earlier in your life. An abuse that you mistakenly thought defiled you. But in fact, it's not what defiles you or defines you. But now, the bitter resistance to forgiveness has begun to defile you. And rather than being able to rise above and know the victory, thanks to the blood of Christ, instead, wanting to have the upper hand of unforgiveness and bitterness you found yourself in an ironic place, more defiled as a result. But it doesn't need to be. Maybe there's, maybe there's slightly perceptible whispers, little zephyrs in the wind of pride. Someone tried to allude to it, but it didn't go well, so the conversation didn't continue. Somebody else tried to maybe suggest you to read a book. Andrew Murray, Humility. Prideful Soul's Guide to Humility. And you said to yourself, boy, that's an arrogant title for a book, The Prideful Soul's Guide to Humility. Maybe that's a clue. But it's plain to others, but maybe not plain to you maybe even unseen to you, and it makes you isolated more than you know. Because you have connections with other people, but you only have religious conversations because of a pride. You say things like, God is good all the time. And the other person says, and all the time God is good. And you walk away feeling like, yeah, Jesus is great. When in fact, nothing really went on there. There's no real intimacy. There's no talking about 
Wow, what we need, where we've been, to expose ourselves, to have vulnerability that promotes the intimacy, all of that is taken away, and we might as well be outside the camp, outside the village, in isolation, if we only knew what awaits us in the depth of true intimacy, real fellowship, koinonia, what it is that you were reborn to experience in your life, not only here, but in the life to come, in Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, it's time to recognize it fully. You know, people say, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if we don't recognize that it's broke, we won't try to have it fixed. And if we keep just trying to assert with, with uh, rose-colored goggles on that it's, that it's not broken, I'm positive, stop bringing me down, well, then you're going to keep on keeping on. And never know the breakthrough that Jesus is waiting to impart. But sometimes when we see the stain and we get really good at that, Satan will come at us from another angle. Initially, he'll come at the angle of, no, you don't want to look at that. It's just just a negative. You don't want to be negative. But then when we start to see it, then Jesus comes at us from, uh, Jesus, Satan comes at us from another angle. And what is that? You're defiled. You're a mess that won't understand. Keep your mouth shut. Just ride this thing out. Maybe time will heal our wounds. Maybe it's something, but he'll try as best he can to keep you from dealing with it in the beautiful way that will bring about redemption and uh, real deliverance. And so it's in that moment where you think you're so unworthy, you think you're beyond the grasp of Jesus, that in addition to seeing your stain, you need to see Jesus. We see Jesus right here. A Jesus that loves, a Jesus that gets dirty, a Jesus that lowers himself, a Jesus that was built for our worst moments. He came and bore our shame. Why, why does he scream out in the garden three times, hour-long prayers? Why does he have to be attended by angels? Why does he go through all of this? Why the anxiety? It's not that he's afraid of the cross. Christian martyrs after him have a bring it on attitude. Why the struggle? Because he's going to have to be defiled by my filth. My stain, my pain, my body of sin is all going to be put upon him so that I can finally know the depth of the deliverance. And yet he fights through in the garden. Why? Because he loves you that much. That garden fight was all because, in the end, for the joy set before him, he endured this cross, scorning all its shame. But he did take that shame. He did take that sin. He was made unclean. He was stained to the greatest degree that we could imagine. Why did he do all that? Because he loves you that much. There's one other thing that he wants to show you. That he hates sin that much. And he allows us to respond to that. To repent, to be baptized. For the old to be gone, the new to come, to be washed thoroughly clean of our sins. It was interesting, by the way, is as Jesus is talking to this leper, he says to him, oh, and now that you are clean, because he wants him to be returned to society, go show yourself to the priest. Why do the priest? Well, because the priest was not only 
the one who led them in worship and in song, but he also knew the laws. All of the civic laws, all of the dietary laws, he was the one that was the expert in these matters and was most discerning when it came to skin diseases. And so while he may have been leading in worship, as someone arrives with leprosy to be able to know whether they can go back into society or not, you know, up they come to the priest and there he begins to examine them. And, you know, I'm sure everybody's thinking, man, this guy must have stayed in a Holiday Inn Express last night. He can do this too? Very cool. And, and with that discernment, the priest is then able to look at the person and deem them clean and announce it to the rest of the village, to the family. And back they all come. Imagine the sweetness of that embrace. I think even a guy who doesn't like getting hugs would be like all up for those hugs as they come back at that very moment. But Jesus says, it's the only time he says this in the New Testament, not only go show yourself to the priest, he says that later to the, the lepers in Luke 17. Why? Because he wants to promote full healing. Healing back into community too. But he also wants them to do something, this man to do something interesting. What does he do? Go make an Old Testament sacrifice. Can you think of any other time where Jesus says, go make the Old Testament sacrifice? He doesn't. Now, there are only two Old Testament sacrifices that occur outside the temple. One is a very famous one. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, rather. And the the scapegoat goes out with all the sin of the community, and he goes out into the desert. And it's the one of two where the activity occurs outside the temple. There's one other. And I think he's try- Jesus is trying to show that God is bigger than just your confined, boxed idea of what happens in the temple. And the other is involving the cleansing of leprosy. And it is detailed in Luke 14. I would encourage you to read the first 12 verses when you get a chance someday. Not now. I'm watching you. And <laughs> but here's what happens in Luke 14. Is to make a sacrifice for the cleansing of one who has been cleansed of leprosy. It is actually a sin offering that is called for once you've been cleansed of leprosy. But here's this incredibly interesting, given what Jesus is about to do for us, what Jesus tells him to do. He says to him, take a bird, doesn't say what kind of bird, just a bird, and kill that bird and spill its blood over a basin of water, of pure water. And then mix in there a scarlet red thread as well as some hyssop. A hyssop is um, something that is a, a cleansing agent as well. So you have this basin of water, the blood of a sacrificial bird, a red thread, and the cleansing of hyssop and some cedar. And, and then he says, now take a second bird. And what you do with this second bird is you hold it over this basin and then you baptize it into the water and the blood, and the cleansing of all that is there. And then you lift the bird up, and then you let it fly away. The only time Jesus says, make a sacrifice 
It's that sacrifice. And interestingly, in the Greek Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, the word for dip the, the bird into the blood in the water is the word bakto that is, that is given there. So, a little foreshadowing of what it is that Jesus is going to do for us as he cleanses us. But when we see Jesus, we cannot have anything left in us that says, no, but not me. No, I'm too far. You're not too far. Doesn't matter where you are right now, what it is that you've done, you have not gotten too far. It is Satan that is trying to get you to that. But as you see Jesus, don't make the mistake, and I, I think you know, it was brilliant during the communion, that we want to we just kind of make Jesus our buddy and be like, hey, hey, just you know, hook me up again, all right? Here's my credit card. Swipe it. hope that's okay. Now, Jesus wants to deal with this thoroughly. He wants to deal with it thoroughly in community with one another and, in, of, of course, in communion with God Almighty. And that as we deal with this thoroughly, Jesus wants the thorough, thoroughness of this to be dealt with one with another and with God. So as you see Jesus, be ready to know that his intention for this is not for you to try to cover up your shame, but to deal with it thoroughly. It's fine that others know because it's going to be gone. That is what you once were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the blood of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.11 tells us. See Jesus, know what it is that he waits for you. Even as you appreciate the depth of the stain, shame, pain that is all there and the isolation, know that you have a Jesus that awaits you with an abundance of solution. Yes, you. Yes, you. You have a glorious path that awaits you. A complete new pivot to the trajectory of what the rest of the days of your life are going to be. Don't brush this off. What awaits is epic. It's the greatest gift that God has ordained from before all time. And here it awaits for us. Reading on in the passage... Don't tell anyone. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Part of Jesus is that he wants you. Yes, yes, it's going to be bandaging the wound thoroughly, but he wants you to be resolved with community. And why a testimony to them? It's a witness to all that this man is welcome back. He's one of our own. He's clean as can be. Everything about him. Yes, he was desperate. Yes, we are all desperate. Yes, if we share throughout every one of the lessons today even how undeserving we are. But yet when we have come to Jesus and we have come away from Jesus sufficiently, yes, we were undeserving. But now you are validated. Completely validated. Head held high, knowing that it's by the blood of Christ that you are part of the community of the body of Christ, the family of God, a child of God. And when you have all of that, look at what happens. Even though he says, don't tell anybody, yet the news about him spread all the more. 
so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You know, finally, don't just see Jesus, but show Jesus. I think this man obeyed, actually. I don't think he went about blabbing, although what a great blabbing that would be. Jesus changed my life. But he didn't even have to do that. The mere fact that the priests were able to say, we now recognize this man as completely cleansed. The rabbi Jesus did it. Back he comes into Capernaum, into Nazareth, into Chorazin, whatever the town, whatever the village might be. Back he comes, love up on him. How amazing is that? And they were all astounded. And the testimony about Jesus Christ spread all the more. Is your life a testimony to Jesus? Is it abundantly astounding? Jaw-dropping astonishment that comes when people recognize you? You're like this now? Really? What? Maybe... You know, maybe there is a little something-something to this whole Jesus thing. All of this awaits. It's not going to come about just because you get better at evangelism. It's going to come about because you really see the depth of depravity and the height of validation, the certainty and security of being in Christ. That can't help but show itself in everything you say, do, think, serve. It will be there. But let it be that it is in what we say. And let it be that this is a week, as we encounter this beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus, and we share with Jesus what it is that he's done in our lives. I mean this. this is, we're not going to get pictures like this all the time We've got it right here before us. Let's show Jesus. Don't show your Google map direction to Maxwell Lane or to Yates Elementary. Don't show simply an invitation, but show people Jesus, what it is that he did for you. Please, before midweek, I want to encourage you, at least one person, at least one person you grab that you don't, you've not let them know this and you've let them know what Jesus has done for you. I want to see when we come back in this very same spot on Wednesday night and we share about this compassionate, loving, powerful, willing Jesus and we've shared him with people what it is that God has done through your life. But start with a devotion. Start with a devotion where you see yourself, where you see Jesus, and you can't help but be excited of showing Jesus to all that will willingly listen. Amen. Amen.